Grab your Bibles and uh, let's go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. It's on page 560 of one of the Bibles uh, in front of you. And um, we're reading from the ESV version. That's the English Standard Version. Some of you have different, so they, they might be a, a slightly different, but, um, but you can follow along as well. One of the sort of great debates when it comes to um, girls and boys, men and women is can people of the opposite sex just be friends, right? So, I mean, have you ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally? That's the whole premise of the movie that can they be, and at the end, they're married. Um, Well, I I happen to think that girls and boys can just be friends until about sixth grade. And then something switches, right? So, uh, it's very interesting to me that, that... as they're growing, I mean, there's almost like they don't even recognize the other sex. I mean, there's like, okay, yeah, it's the, that's that other species over there, and they do their thing, and we do ours. And so boys build and destroy and wrestle and all that, and girls braid hair and, and uh, do nails and dress up and play with dolls. And I know I'm stereotyping here, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, this is a, there's, there's very sort of different paths. And then, and then something switches. It's like this this epiphany moment or this season. And I remember for me, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I I can sort of pinpoint it was somewhere around the end of fifth grade. I left fifth grade looking at girls and going, ooh, and I entered sixth grade in the fall looking at girls and going, wow, right? So I went from from repulsion to attraction, and, and if any of you know what I'm talking about, it's the attraction. It's not just like, hey, you know, I think they're great. It's like, I want one right? I, I, actually, I actually would like to have one of those for myself. And, uh, and it starts to grow, right? And so there's this desire, there's this God-given desire that he puts in us for somebody of the opposite sex. Now, when we open uh, Song of Solomon chapter 1, that's what you're going to see. You're going to, you're going to peer into this relationship and you're going to see desire. In fact, I would suggest to you that desire is the central theme of the Song of Solomon. And it's fascinating to watch because as we unpack this, you're going to see first through the girl's eyes um, how she feels about this man. So by the way, this is very interesting. I heard one commentator say that, um, that the book of Proverbs was written for boys. My son, my son, my son. The Song of Solomon was written for girls. Um, and you're going to hear her talk all the time and people talking to her. And the advice to both boys and girls when it comes to sex, men and women, when it comes to sex and intimacy, is take a shower, right? Just wait. Wait until God's timing, okay? So this is what you're going to see in both Proverbs for men, for boys, and in Song of Solomon for girls. So, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you eight things that I think we can see in verses one through four, and we're going to show you know, like, where do we find Jesus in here, because we want to find Jesus, because Jesus says, I'm everywhere. If you open your Bible, you ought to find me somewhere. And, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to sort of mine and see how we find Jesus within this passage, all right? So let's start reading in Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse one, and just kind of unpack it as we go along. The Song of Songs which is Solomon's. Now, let me just comment very briefly on this. Song of Songs is like saying King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You get what I'm saying? It's like, this is the ultimate song, which is very interesting to me because apparently all the way back in Solomon's time, uh, the most common songs or maybe a big kind of song were love songs, right? Turn on the radio today, turn on top 40, whatever, turn on country music. And what, 90% of songs are about 
relationships. They're about love. They're about sex. They're about intimacy. And he comes along and says, here's the song of songs. Here's the sort of song to end all songs. This is the ultimate because this is what God has to say about this issue, not some songwriter. Um, We're also supposed to see the song of Solomon as a song. Like, that, that, like this would have been sung. This would, have, this would have been something that would have been sung from beginning to end. So it's one song. It's got some themes. It's got a, a purpose. It's got a story arc, if you will, to it. And we should see that. But he says, which is Solomon's? And this is where it gets very confusing because some people assume that what that means is that Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon. Now, he, he might have. But which is Solomon's doesn't mean it belongs to him or he wrote it. Uh, There's some interesting Hebrew construction there. We don't have to go into that other than to say that maybe he wrote it. But some, I had somebody ask me the other day, how is it that Solomon wrote this when we know from Scripture that he had 300 wives and 700 concubines? Just imagine. Um, how, did he, how did he do that? How, 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 why should I take advice from any guy like that, right? And that, that, that's a great question. But I don't think Solomon did write this, and I don't think Solomon is the main character. And one of the reasons I say that is you walk through, Solomon was maybe the, one of the wealthiest kings that Israel ever had. He had servants for servants for servants. He had, you know, he didn't just build gardens. He built national forests, all this stuff. And in this one, this king is out pasturing sheep. Well, that's, that wouldn't have happened. This can't be Solomon that we're talking about as the main character. I think maybe this is written as an indictment to say, Solomon, you so jacked this thing up, and this is what God meant it to be. You, you, you have, you have son, run so, so far against the grain of what God intended for marriage and intimacy and love and romance to be that, uh, that this is sort of being written as an indictment against you, okay? All right, so now we go and we get to verse 2, and we're going to start sort of unpacking and looking at the lessons here, and listen what she says. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Okay, now, um, right out of the chutes, we, we, we learn something. She, she wants him. Okay, that's the first lesson. She wants him. Now, um, she looks across the room, and by the way, we know nothing about this, this girl. We don't know her name. We don't know her nationality. We don't know where she's from. Nothing. We, all we know is that she has this intense, passionate, breathless desire for not something, but someone, this particular man. And she looks across the room. Perhaps he walks in, and as you can see, she smells him, all this stuff. She looks and says, oh, my gosh, I would love it if he would come over here and plant a big, wet kiss on my lips. That's what she's saying. Let him kiss me. I, I, I want this man, right? I, I know this desire, right? Like, like I, I, I look at him. This is something that I want. But there's something more. I think she, she wants him to lead. You notice this? Let him come and kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be shy about expressing my desire, but in the end, I want him to lead. Now, this, this sort of runs counter to some things in our culture, that, that there's this sort of radical feminist idea that resents male leadership. She doesn't resent male leadership at all. She looks and says, I want you. In this area, I'd like you to lead, but I'm going to let you know I want you. 
But it also runs against the grain of this idea that, that the way to get a man is to be a girl gone wild, right? Take off your top, you know, run around, grab the guy, kiss him, pull him into a bedroom, make love to him. No. She's saying, I want him to come to me. I want to express my desire and I want him to come to me. But on the other side, so that's sort of the radicals. And then you've got this other sort of extremely conservative ideal about women. And, and they would paint a woman as a wallflower with no sexual passion, no sexual desire. That's not her. Or it would say in some religious circles that, that what a woman is for, a woman is simply the passive person in a sexual relationship that's meant to just satisfy her husband. That isn't her, right? I mean, there's so much she's pushing against right here that we see. Let him come over here and kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She wants him. She wants him to lead. But there's something else, I think, and that's that she finds him physically attractive. She looks at this guy. I don't think there's any way around this and looks and says, he's really attractive to me. Like, I, I really find him to be a handsome man. Do you understand that physical attraction is a biblical, good, godly thing. It is not, it is not uh, if you're a guy or a girl and you're dating or whatever, or you're thinking about who you should date, that isn't being superficial. That's not, that's not you know, you, you shouldn't think that way. All you should look for is this. No, it's, it's perfectly okay. In fact, I don't think you can help it. I think God wired you to respond to beauty to respond to things that you find attractive. And it's that attraction that actually births the desire within you. She looks and she goes, man, this guy is really attracted. Listen, young people, you should be attracted to the person you're going to marry. Romance, yep, it's more. It's way more than physical attraction. A good relationship is way more than physical attraction. You know why I say that? Because sex is easy, relationships are hard. Sex is really easy, right? You are, you are compatible, you are sexually compatible with millions more people than you are relationally compatible with. And here's, here's him saying, or the, you know, the writer saying, she looks at him and says, man, I, I find you extraordinarily handsome. But, um, but, but again, God wired us this way. So, I mean, th- think about this. So, so if, if you're walking down the street and a person of the opposite sex passes you and they're, in your mind, beautiful, good-looking, handsome, attractive, however you describe that, your mind, without your consent, registers beauty. Right? You, you, you can't turn that off. You can't, you can't see somebody attractive walk past you and go, nope, ugly. <laughs> you, you can't. It's not possible. And so we are innately wired. God wired you to chase beauty. Could that become wrong? Yes. We'll talk about that. But he wired you to, to be attracted. Thing. I mean, listen, this is why people spend, what, billions of dollars a year to just go someplace to view beauty. That's called a vacation, right? We just go there to look and say, that's beautiful. We went to Yosemite a, a few weeks ago after Easter, and, and, uh, and there's this ridiculous climb. Some of you heard me tell a story. We climbed up this three and a half miles, kind of straight up the mountain type of deal, and, 
and it was exhausting. I mean, if, if I would have known, if, if somebody had said, hey, look, and climb up there, but when you get to the top, there's nothing to see. It's really just a big stone wall or something, and, and, and the, the view is no better from here. I would have, like, there... I don't want to just punish my body. It's not, I'm not into that. I, I, but I am more than happy to endure all the pain if the result at the top is I get to look out and go, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. Right? We will go through all kinds of things to see beauty, to, to, to perceive, to, to behold something beautiful. Now, so God's wired us that way. Can that go wrong? Yes. And it does. And so there are warnings in Scripture, especially, by the way, to men who are very sort of physically, sort of, you know, um, externally oriented. Because we look and you see a woman, you see her body, you see all that, and there's a, a physical attraction. A man, a man sees things like this, right? Physical beauty is a big, big deal to a guy. And so the Bible's going to say, here's one of the problem, guys. The problem is if you stop there, that's a very dangerous thing. Beauty can make you stupid. <laughs> and so it says things to guys. By the way, this is written to men. Many of you women, you know, you go to a women's seminar, somebody teaches women, and they'll say, what kind of women should we be? And so they throw up Proverbs 31.30, right, that says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That proverb was not written to women. I'm not saying you can't apply that to your life. I'm saying the direct application of that is to a guy, his mother, his father, saying, you want me to show you what kind of girl to go after? That's great. You're attracted to her? Is she beautiful? Good. Just understand, son, that uh, beauty is vain. She doesn't mean vanity like we think of that. She, she's, saying, she's saying it's like a vapor. I mean, how many of you look at your wedding pictures and you're like, gosh, we used to be really good looking, <laughs> right? And now not so much, right? But you, you, you look and say, it's, the, it, and, and this is an honest parent going, Son, daughter, yes, you should be physically attracted. That's a great thing. God actually uses that. But in the end of the day, that, that begins to fade. Charm is deceitful. Like, man, she may pour it on. He may pour it on. And you're like, wow, what a charming, wonderful person. That's, and, and what they're saying is this. All that physical attraction, if we're not careful, can mask the heart. Go after the heart. Find somebody whose heart is for God. This is what the woman who fears the Lord, gentlemen, is to be praised. The woman who fears the Lord, that's the one you latch on to. Not like, you know, I find her as ugly as my dog, but hey, she fears the Lord. No, it's fine that you're attracted to her. Be attracted to her. But make sure that's not where it ends. It's got to go deeper than skin. So she, she, she wants this guy, and she finds him physically attractive. And by the way, on that... When, when I talk about physical attraction, when the Bible talks about physical attraction, it's Song of Solomon. Here's what you're going to learn. The standard for beauty is not the culture. We don't go out and say, people that are beautiful are only on magazine covers. Guys, when you get married, ladies, when you get married, you want to know what your standard of beauty is? Your spouse. That, that's beauty. 
Right? That's your standard right there. Uh, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty attracted you. And you say, this is, I see Michelle as beautiful. I look at her and say, she's attractive. I, right, all those things. And that's got to be true of us. So, so we look and we say, man, we're attracted to this person. They're, they're beautiful. Now, she's going to tell us why she finds him attractive. And she's going to give us three things, and this is very, very interesting. Some of them are, you know, good advice. Some of them are crazy practical, and one of them is deeply spiritual. Okay, so, so now watch this. Here, here she goes in, in verse... Um, End of verse 2, she says, why, do I, why, do I, why am I attracted to him this way? For your love is better than wine. Now, let me just say it this way. She's saying this, I am looking forward to sex with this man. She's fantasizing. I want you to hear me. That is appropriate within the proper confines. I told you last week. The, the Bible is not down on the fact that there is sexual desires that God has planted there for you. He's not saying repress, 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 don't even have those. No, no, they're, they're natural desires. It's what you do with those desires. But she goes, okay, this guy's going to be my husband. And, and I think they're probably fiance, you know, right now. They're, they're engaged. They're looking forward. She's looking forward to marriage. And she looks and says, says that your love is better than wine. I am, and that love, by the way, I told you there's two words in the Song of Solomon for love. And one is more of like that, I esteem you, I admire you, we're friends, that kind of thing. That's, that's not this love. This is the love that means sexual love. Your love, what I look forward to when I think of you and I think of our wedding night and I think of our life together is is that kind of love being better than the sweetest glass of wine? Now, this is, this is very practical, and here's why. Um, uh, in general, somebody has said that when it comes to sexual intimacy, men are like microwaves, women are like slow cookers. Okay? I don't want to say crock pots, that sounds wrong. Um, okay, which means, right, ding, ready, um, yesterday, and a woman uh, is sort of this slow burn. The desire sort of builds. But, but here's what you see in this woman. She's feeding that desire. She's thinking about her wedding night. She's thinking, and, 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 and notice, when she thinks, it's not, oh my gosh, Will I perform okay? And oh my goodness, what will he think of my body? And oh no, I'm scared about this. You're going to see. There's some insecurities that we're going to get to see in the coming weeks where she's insecure and he's going to reassure her about all of that. But she looks forward and she says, you know what? What I look forward is it's better than wine. This is going to be great. And she is thinking really great thoughts about that. That's, that's just good advice, ladies. If that's you and go, you know what? It's, it's sometimes difficult for me. And I don't, I don't know. I'm not ready like my husband is all the time. But, but you know what? I can begin to kind of focus on him and think about him throughout the day and how that prepares me. That's just good advice. Just like I, 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 I'm, I'm excited to be intimate with him. But now, now look what else. This is, this is amazing. So look at verse 4. She says, so the first reason, your love is better than wine. Your second reason, your anointing oils are fragrant. Modern translation, you smell good. I mean, you smell good. I, 
I like the way you smell, right? You bathed. <laughs> you used deodorant. You put mouthwash in, right? You, you weren't all stubbly and ripping my face apart, whatever. I mean, you, you, you were thoughtful. You, 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 you know I'm an Axe girl or a Calvin Klein girl, and you put it on for me, right? And, and, and he, what she looks and goes, this guy is so thoughtful. I mean, he's so willing. He, he wants me to be attracted to him. And so he knows what I like, and he does that for me. That, guys, listen, I promise you, you did that when you were dating. Right? I mean, you, you did everything in your power to be like, I'm the man. And the saddest thing is that sometimes we get married, and, and that just goes. There's nothing, I can't imagine, nothing worse than a stinky man. <laughs> Who's just like, whatever, you know, you ought to love me. Just, just accept me for who I am. I know, I know, baby, you, you married the chiseled body of Chris Hemsworth, and now I'm Santa Claus, but you ought to love me. <laughs> right, you just ought to, you ought to dig my two tons of fun here. Now, I get it. Some women are like, that's awesome. I love your bigness, buddy. I love you. Come to me. Let me barely put my arms around you. But, but it doesn't have to be that and stinky. You don't have to smell while you're at it, right? And she goes, I love this. He thought of me. He thinks of me. He's thoughtful. Let me say it this way, guys. He does everything he can to free her up to be the sexual aggressor. I mean, you're going to see this. The girl in, in the Song of Solomon is most often the initiator. See, because what she's doing, is she's not having to overcome these hurdles. Like, you have B.O. <laughs> and I would love this right now, but could you go take a shower? Like, no, he's just going, no, I'll do this. I'm going to get myself ready for, for this girl that I love. He, she just likes how he smells. Isn't that amazing? That's in the Bible. Like, guys, that's actually a good, sanctified, holy, godly thing for you to bathe. <laughs> so take some good biblical advice. All right, well, how about this? This is really the capstone. She, she looks and says that he has a great reputation as a man of God. Look at verse 4. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. That is beautiful. Why does she say that? See, what is a name? Why, why, why does she talk like that? Because, because, you know, I don't know about you. I've got four kids and... And uh, some of their names are really meaningful when you get into the services. Some of them, I got to be honest with you, but I'll tell you this. Every child of mine, I'm a pastor. I guess I should have been thinking like their name should be Gideon and Methuselah and whatever, you know. Um, I picked those names because I was like, I just, I think they're cool names. I just like the sound of Gabriella. I like the sound of Tucker and Berkeley and... Kimberly Grace. I mean, I just love the way that sort of rolls together. But that's not how you're going to see it in the Bible. Because in the Bible, a name is the repository of someone's character, of who they are. This is why 
you're going to find the names of God. Not because we're talking about several different gods, because there's not one name that can capture him. He's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Tzidkenu. He's Yahweh. He's, he's all of these things. He's, and this is, this is the Bible's attempt to say, let me tell you something about the character of God. And she looks at her man and says, you've got a name and I know it and it's oil poured out. And poured out oil in Scripture almost invariably, and I can't think of an exception in poetic literature, has to do with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the, 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 the manifestation of God's presence. And she looks at this guy and says, that's your name. You know what you're characterized by? You are characterized by being a man of God, and I love that so much about you. How does she know this? Because she's taken time. So you have no business entering into some kind of relationship that is in any way serious if you don't know, and I'm talking to Christians now, if you're a Christian, you have no business being in that kind of relationship if you don't know something about their character, about their spiritual maturity, about where they stand with God, about their obedience to God. See, because some of you have got this idea that I'll date, I'll get married, I'm super attractive, this guy, he's really cool, we have a great time, he's wonderful, and, and, and I know, no, no, he, he kind of is lukewarm toward God right now, he doesn't really love Jesus right now, I mean, he, he'll go to church reluctantly, but I, I think I can change all that, I think when we get married, things will be different. She says his name is, is right now. Right now he's obedient. Right now he loves Jesus. Right now he's walking with God. Right now he's pursuing him. Because ladies and men, if that other person in your life isn't willing to do it right now, I'm telling you right now, they will break your heart in marriage. And I could parade up in here in front of us dozens and dozens of couples who would say, it has broken my heart. Because I thought I would get one thing and I didn't. She looks and says, I love your name. I, I love this about you. See, listen, physical attraction's awesome. It doesn't end there. Let me tell you what physical attraction is if you're dating. Physical, if you, you look across the room and you, you, you catch eyes with somebody, you're like, oh, whoa, that's a really, really handsome guy. That's a really, really beautiful woman. And they, you come together and you, you get to know each other. You know what physical attraction is? All that is is an invitation to explore character, to explore spiritual maturity. That's it. And if you find out very quickly there, there's nothing below the skin, run. You have no business being in that. She looks and says, I, I see something so amazing here. See, see let me say this to you. Um, those of you who are sort of um, looking for a husband or wife someday, where do you find them? Where do you find that person? Well, you don't find them in bars. You don't find them in places where guys and girls are hooking up. You don't sit down and go, okay, I'm a, I'm a godly man. Now I need these 55 things to be true about my future spouse. Or I'm a girl and I need these 55 things to be true about my future man. No, you, do, you go, God, what do I need to be today? And you start chasing God. 
and you make this the number one goal of your life. I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. And I liken it to like running around a track. You're just running. You're running at full steam. You are, you are chasing after God. And in God's sovereignty, he does this amazing thing where you're running and you're chasing him. And then suddenly you look over one day and you're like, oh, hey, hey, what's, what's your name, right? And there's a girl or a guy running right, they're not 50 feet behind you, dragging you back, don't run so fast. They're keeping up. I'm telling you, if God does that, you find them physically attractive, you look and say, wow, this is, this is great. You keep your eye on that person and then maybe you say, hey, let's run a couple of laps together. That's called dating. And you just run the track. You don't go too far. You don't do things physically. You just run the track together. Are we, is there a chemistry? And if there's not, we're done. And nobody's hurt. And I haven't left a train wreck in my, in my past. That's how you do this. And she looks and says, I love so much that he is this man of character. But now look how she ends this. Look at, look at um, verse 3. The end of verse 3 says, Therefore, virgins love you. Now, The reason it says virgins in your translation is because in English, sadly, we don't have a word that corresponds to this word. Because the word in Hebrew is really a word that is in lots of other cultures besides us because we don't think that there's, you know, everybody's sexually ready, everybody's sexually mature. No, this, this word, when he, what he's describing there is a particular class of women. And it is a class of women that not only are they virgins in the sense we think, but they are a class of women who are ready to be married. They've been groomed toward marriage. They've had older people in their life teaching them, helping them. They are now the eligible bachelorettes of that community. And so they have been attuned to what is good and right and proper biblically, and they look out and they say, that guy's a good one. These are, these are women in her circle that are saying, you know what, you got one of the good ones. They're not going, hey, baby, come here, L- let's talk. Um, he, he is going to break your heart. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's got a train of heartbreak behind him, and you're just gonna be the next one. He's a player, he's a ladies' man. No, they're saying, way to go. You got one of the good ones. Uh, I transferred into uh, college, came in as a junior. My wife, Michelle Bennington, at the time, had been there two years before me. And so I didn't, I didn't know her the way some of the other guys knew her. Um, but we started dating. And I remember sitting down at lunch with this guy that I uh, was friends with. And he's like, so you're dating Michelle Bennington? I said, yeah. He goes, you know, you need to know something, basically. I was like, oh, okay. And he said, um, she has a reputation among the guys as somebody you don't want to date because she won't give us what we want. But all of us agree that when we get married, we want a girl like Michelle Bennington. 
And I'm like, that's all I need to know. Her name is oil poured out. Guys, is that your name? Because are you looking for that? Are you saying, God has his best for me? And he's going to make sure that he brings me this person that loves Jesus more than he loves me? I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Now look at verse 4 because he says, she, she, look what she does. I'm super attracted to you. You're hot. You are a man of God. You're all these things. And verse 4, draw me after you. Let us run. I think we're supposed to sort of read this on two levels. What are you waiting for, dude? Right, let's, let's, let's make this happen, right? I don't want you to tell me you love me. I don't want you to sort of string me on. I don't want to be engaged for six years. <laughs> I want a ring on my finger, and I want to go to the altar. Draw me now. Let's go, right? Michelle and I dated for a year and, a year and then got engaged, and we were, we were uh, engaged for three and a half months, I think it was. Um, I was talking to a couple, young couple last night, and they were a couple nights ago, and they said they were engaged for eight months or like way too long. And I'm like, right on, good. What are you waiting for? Like, you, have, you, have you found a, a person you're physically attracted to? Yep. Um, are you guys sort of committed? Yep. D- d- are, are they loving Jesus, following Jesus? They're obedient to Jesus? Jesus is the number one thing? Yep. What are you waiting for? Like, if you're waiting for money, you'll never afford it. There is no good time to get married financially. There's no good time to have children, right? It's just not. But you do it. She says, draw me after you. But I think she's, she's at another level as well. She's saying, draw me after you, let us run. I am so attracted to you. I, I can't wait to be together with you sexually. I find, now, here's the interesting thing. She has just got finished. She just finished saying, your name is oil poured out. Now draw me after you. Listen to me, there's a lesson in here that guys, sex is not just skin on skin and foreplay is not something 10 minutes before intercourse. She goes, you know what I find so attractive, like what makes me say I want you now is who you're becoming. You're a man of God. Listen, I I don't know of a Christian woman whose heart is for God. Number one thing in her life is for God. Who, Who doesn't find in you men, in you husband, in you boyfriend, in you fiance, one of the most attractive things about you is your pursuit of God. That is not weird, that's righteous. That's good. That's godly. She ought to be able to look at you and say, I got to be honest with you. You chase after God, and that's a turn on. That, that's, that's, that's one of the most precious. I, I just talked to a lady after the second service. She says, you know what? That was my husband. What so attracted to me, him, him to me in the early days and him to me was, was man, he was chasing God. See, see, she goes, man, I, I want you to know this about you. But now, now look what she says. She says, um, draw me after you, let us run. The king 
has brought me into his chamber. So here again, she's thinking about that day. She's thinking about their wedding night. She's thinking about their life of intimacy together. And first thing, she, she calls him king. So ladies, you must call your man <coughs> king. Just kidding. No, but here's what I would say. She, she calls him a term of respect. See, most guys in here, I, you know, maybe some would like you to call him king, but, but that, you know what they just want? They want your respect. If they have proven themselves worthy of respect, see, guys come across as hardened and grizzled and we don't have emotions and you can't hurt us, whatever. That is so not true. Because I have seen more than one very tough man absolutely brought to his knees by the brutality of his wife, by the brutality of a woman who tears him down over and over and over again. And here's a woman who looks at her husband and calls him king. That's a culturally relevant thing for them. What would it be for your husband? What would it be for the person in your life to lift them up and to build them up with your words? And, and, and call them and respect them. And then she says, the king, this man that I respect, this man I love, has brought me into his chambers. Gentlemen, let, let, me, let me say, probably what your wife is not fantasizing about is um, a sexual encounter that is risky, that is on the beach where people might walk by, uh, where her modesty will be put on display. She goes, he's brought me into his chambers, this private place where the door can lock, where I'm secure and I can feel free to give myself to him. And I'm not worried about kids barging in. I'm not worried about people walking by. I'm not worried that we've got an open window, whatever. I mean, he's actually thought of these things. And this is what I look forward to, just me and him together. He has brought me into his chambers. But now, now look at this. The last thing she says is, in, is the last part of verse 4. Look what she says. We, these, so these are some other people looking in to this relationship, and look at how they talk. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. You know what she's done? She has invited the community to speak into her life. Right? She's looked and said, I'm going to listen to the community that God has put around me. Do you understand? If you especially, listen, if you are a Christian woman, you are a Christian man, then God has put you into a community. Now, here's one of the dangers of relationship, physical attraction. You get attracted to somebody. Let's go on a date. You start, you start you know, uh, uh, coming together, and, and uh, you're so excited to have this boyfriend, girlfriend in your life, and what you do is they, they suddenly become your all. Everything I ever wanted is wrapped up in you. Oh, that's true for me too. And you seclude yourself and your friends suddenly go, why don't we see you anymore? How come we're never around you anymore? When what the Bible is going to counsel us to do, man, if there's, if there's a decision that ought, you ought to look to the community to help you make, this is it. Do you, are you around your Christian friends? Are you with your growth group? Are you, are you in these circles where other people who love Jesus more than they love you, but they deeply love you, 
can speak into that. And she hears this community. And what they have to say is, way to go. She asks him, what do you think of my relationship? What do you think about this guy? What do you think about this gal? What do you think about us coming together? What do you think if I were to marry him? What do you think if we're engaged? Hey, by the way, does this man or this woman, do they, do, do they seem to draw me closer to Jesus or do they push me further away from him? So that must not be. And here's the deal. She she exposes this relationship to these friends and then she listens to their advice. See, how many people go, no, nope, you're not telling me what to do. I love this man. I love this woman. And you are not going to tell me. You're not going to ruin my life and tell me not to do that. And people aren't trying to ruin your life. They're trying to be your friend. A very good friend of Michelle and mine, uh, we had a, a mutual friend. We weren't in town at the time. We didn't live where, where they are now, but he, he actually approached one of his dear, dear friends before his wedding and sat him down, looked him in the eye and said, you don't have to do this because I see some red flags here and this could be disastrous, essentially is what he told him. And his friend was like, screw you, I'll do what I want. Get out of my face. I don't want your advice. And about a year later, that marriage was over. And that guy was devastated. He's like the guy in Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, there's this, again, this is a man talking. And he says this, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Here's a guy who's going, people were trying to tell me, I just didn't listen. They were trying to love me trying to make sure I didn't, I didn't ruin my life. Listen to me. If you are dating, if you are thinking of marrying somebody, if you've got someone in your life, they better love Jesus, first of all, and then you better get them around your friends, and you better listen to the community. You ignore, you ignore the community of faith that God has surrounded you at your peril. They ought to be jumping up and down and saying, this is awesome. That's one of the greatest privileges I have when I marry a couple. Like I'm, I've, I've gotten a chance to know them. I've, I've gotten a chance to, to, to listen to their story and walk with them or maybe I've known them before and I, there, there's nothing like marrying a couple where you go, this is so right. This is so good. And we affirm you. Go. Isn't this practical? That's just good, solid advice for us as married couples and for dating couples. But let's look at one last thing, because where is Jesus in all this? Where do we find Jesus? Well, if Jesus is in everything, if he's in all of Scripture, he says, open your Bibles and you ought to be able to find me, then here's what I want to suggest to you. What, we're, what we got today is a picture, a very vivid picture of a heart that has been awakened to desire Jesus. 
to desire God. And that's a gift. One of the things I pray for my kids all the time, I pray for myself, I pray for Michelle, is that God will awaken in us a greater desire for Him. Because when the King captivates your heart, right? He says, this is, this is the essence of the relationship. And he says, this is, there's, there's no other way. He, I mean, look at He's given a Song of Solomon as one book, not the book. It's not the, the only way of seeing the love of God, but it's one way. And he says, I'm going to give it to you in very vivid terms so that you understand the ferocity of my love for you and the ferocity that I will awaken in your heart for me. That when I reveal myself to you as your king, when I come and I open your eyes and you see that my beauty and you see all that I am for you, there will be an overwhelming desire in your life. Listen, the greatest desire in our lives should be Jesus. And the reason you sin and the reason I sin, every single sin of mine, is because in a moment, in a flash, I desire something more than Jesus. Everyone. If you lust, I, I found something in that moment more desirable than Jesus. And God says, you know what I want to do? I want to awaken in your heart by you seeing the beauty of the gospel. I want to awaken in your heart through faith in Christ. I want to awaken in you a desire like you've never known, a desire like nothing else in this world can be for you. And when that happens, that changes everything. Do you understand when I talk about being a Christian, some of you need to hear this again and again and again. Christianity is not, is not, is not. When I say come to Christ, believe on Jesus, I am not inviting you to become more moral. I'm not inviting you to become more religious. I'm saying will you let, will you cry out to God and will you let him touch your heart and actually give you brand new? Will, will you let him, as the Bible says, give you a new heart? How many people have made a wreck and ruin of their life? How many people have tried it on their own and are sitting there, oh, if I could just start over? That's Christianity. That's him saying, I'll give you a new heart. There will be new impulses. There will be new desires. You will love things you never loved before. You will hate things you, you used to love and, 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 and now, now you hate them. Only the power of the gospel can do that. Religion won't do that for you. Morality won't do that for you. Only when you have been awakened to a greater desire and God does that for you. And that can happen today. And anybody who's ever become a Christian, that has already happened to you. God has awakened you to give you a heart of flesh that beats for him. It's an amazing thing. Let's pray.